Ladies and gentlemen, this is the World Series of Politics, where Brendan Bussman and Brant I race through the turn on key legislative and regulatory developments around the gaming world. As these two come up to the green flag, let's get into this race for expansion and opportunity for the industry to grow until we hit the checkered flag on another episode of the World Series of Politics. Welcome back to another World Series of Politics podcast. I'm your host, Brent Iden, with my good friend, Brendan Busman, and I am happy to be back on the show. Brendan, I, uh, you know, I was getting some questions. Uh, people said, you know, I listened to the last podcast. Uh, Brent, did you hear it? And I said, of course I heard it. Of course I listened to it. And they said, well, you know, Brendan said you were, you were in an undisclosed location. What is this undisclosed location? And I said, I said, well, I was simply in North Carolina getting a bill signed so I could get a bottle of wine for my good friend Brendan Musman. <laughs> well, so you that, know, I, if you follow me on Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn or anything else, you would know that I was in North Carolina. Well, you know, some of us still are on on our MySpace page uh, when it comes oh, okay. to social media. Um, so, uh, you know, we don't we don't have that uh, that ability. But uh, yes, you were in an undisclosed location. Uh, drinking a nice bottle of Pinot, uh, my understanding is, well, while you were uh, doing the good work of trying to get another bill passed and have another state go live uh, or get ready to go live with sports betting uh, later on this year. It's exciting. We're happy about North Carolina. Obviously, we were hoping for a little bit more success in the U.S. this year in terms of legislation, but it's a, I think it's a good way to cap off the legislative session. But what we're going to talk about today, we're going to pivot a little bit. I know in our last show, we talked about the UK. We, there's been some very exciting news coming out, of, uh, coming out of Canada. My neighbor to the north, or I guess to the south, depending on if you're in Windsor or not, depending on you know, if you're in Detroit, but Windsor is actually <laughs> south, which not very, very few people know. But I've got, I've got on the line with us today our very good friend, Paul Burns. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, president and CEO of the Canadian Gaming Association. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Doing wonderful. Thank you. So we're going to talk all things uh, Canada today. I know there's been a lot of exciting news, uh, obviously, just coming out of the Canadian Gaming Summit. There's been a lot of news the, the month here. You know, give us a little bit of an update. How did the summit go? Where do things stand today? Uh, you know, how do you see things, uh, you know, sort of a year into the market? Well, it's uh, the summit was great. Um, and we were thrilled to Good folks at SPC um, ran the Canadian Gaming Summit this year for the first time. Uh, the association sold it to them last year. Um, and uh, they went out and doubled attendance. So we had just around 2,000 people in attendance this year. Uh, busy show uh, and lots uh, of stuff to discuss. And uh, Gaming Ontario released an economic impact study during the summit just to uh, to give us a snapshot of what some of the the impact that first year of the iGaming market in Ontario has um, has produced in terms of jobs and and uh, and impact on the uh, Ontario economy. So that was nice to hear. And uh, so it was a productive week uh, for everybody. I think it was um, a really great event professionally, as always with the SPC folks, uh, very buttoned down and ran smoothly and Great content and uh, lots of opportunities to uh, to network with folks. Great. And one of the things I saw coming out of that, and you can, you know, maybe you can comment on this, you know, so the AGCO is saying that 85% of the on online Ontario market that was illegal has now folded into the legal market. I mean, did you take a look at that study? What are your thoughts on that? Did you see that happening? I mean, did anybody anticipate that? No, that was exactly the intent was, and that, that sort of demonstrated, I think, what they were 
their objectives from the outset they've achieved in many ways. Uh, it was about um, the policies, the regulatory regime were really designed to bring as much of the grain market as you could into the marketplace. It was uh, led with consumer protection and consumer choice. Uh, it didn't talk about government revenue, it didn't talk about other things, but it talked about those two. Uh, and with the idea that creating a regulatory regime uh, that was based on some best practices from around the world, there was a lot of consultation that happened from the AGCO and iGaming Ontario to make sure that they understood what the industry was dealing with, where the best practices could be found, and applied them. And so when you look at the 45 companies operating almost 75 sites uh, in Ontario today, um, you're looking at almost two-thirds of them came from the gray market that were in the marketplace. Uh, Canadians have always been very good uh, in the uh, gamblers, and it's been very robust. The gray market, um, we always estimated it was around a billion, billion and a half dollars leaving the country uh, total, uh, we may have underestimated that in some respects looking at the Ontario results, which produced $1.48 billion in the first year. Uh, and that didn't include Ontario Lottery and Gaming, which estimates another $200, $250 million in GGR that they produced. So when you're looking at a market that's um, one eight, it's pretty substantial. Um, it's uh, still got room uh, for growth. There's still new market entrants. Uh, in the queue to come through, and and I think that the the regulatory stream has created a uh, more of a level playing field for marketing because obviously the biggest thing was bonusing and incentives are not permitted in mass market advertising, and that that really was probably the leveler in many ways to uh, force companies to advertise on product and service um, and brand, and so that's what we've seen, and it's been great so far, and I think. Uh, with the high level of channelization uh, is is really a result of uh, the efforts that the AGCO made to ensure and making it very easy for people to move from the gray. No one, there was no bad actor clauses. You could transition over time. They did everything they could and, and the industry responded by signing up. You know, I think you, you, you hit on one point there that I, I really want to go back to and, and that's you know, the evolving space as it relates to this on advertising. Uh, and obviously, you know, uh, Ontario's taken its approach. Uh, you know, you've seen a host of different models in, in, the, in the U.S. Uh, over where this has and where it may be going. But, but how has that experience been in Canada and, and how has the consumer reacted to it uh, along the way? Well, see, there was a couple things that happened sort of in succession. So first was Canadian, Canadian Parliament changed the laws regarding sports betting. So in April, or sorry, in June of 2021, uh, Parliament of Canada passed a law to permit single event sports wagering uh, and remove the prohibition against it. Uh, and then on April 4, 2022, Ontario moved to the regulated marketplace. So there's been a lot of what happened here. Uh, an open license market invited the world in, 45 operators, so a lot of people, oh, Ontario licensed sports books. And well, well, everybody in Canada can have access to, to sports betting. And just in Ontario, they've created a larger regulatory regime for operators to participate in. And that brought some newness with sports betting advertising. So the large brands that had not been part of the gray market, the FanDuel's, the DraftKings, PointsBet, the Score, 
um, brand new, uh, became strong advertisers in the marketplace. So everybody saw this advertising. It was mainly focused around sports because that's what people watch on TV is live sports and news, basically. Um, and that's where the advertising went. Well, that was the newness for people. And some people were like, oh, this is this onslaught of advertising. But when you step back and actually look at it, there's a couple of things that also went into this. Is that the two major broadcasters in Canada put it voluntarily put in share of voice restrictions um, into their broadcasts. Um, that the broadcasters support this agency called Think TV, which approves all of the television ads that go on TV in Canada. They created a set of policies uh, for clearing TV ads um, that was based on the regulatory standards, but actually is probably a bit higher in on many fronts. And when you look at the statistics, <laughs> well, there's a lot of public outrage. The numbers don't actually show that to be true. Advertising, there's not the gambling sector as a whole uh, is uh, barely in the top 10 of sector advertising. So between like autos and food and financial services, you know, it's down barely making 10. Uh, represents drug about, ads. Yeah, <laughs> below actually drug ads. Um, <laughs> right. And and 3%, basically 3% of the total advertising from what I'm in, the numbers I've seen of tele ads on television are from uh, betting and gaming. So that, that was some newness and there's some, and that spawned some really interesting thing. And there's actually a couple uh, bills that have landed in legislation in the Canadian parliament last week, wanting a national framework for sports betting advertising. Uh, and then Ontario legislature opposition party introduced a bill to uh, basically ban internet gaming advertising. And it's, it's nice, but everybody just step back and take a look what's going on and what the rules have been put in place. The broadcasters have come to the table. The professional sports leagues are coming to the table. The NHL is now willing to you know, work with the industry in Canada because their leagues are a bit different up here. It is the league. It's, uh, it's the holy grail. Hockey's on TV. Um, the last two months, it's been on every night because we watch all of the Stanley Cup playoffs, not just if our teams are in it. And being from Toronto, I generally have to do that every spring anyway. Is watch everybody and, and else. And who again won the Stanley Cup? <laughs> that Let's would get be that on record, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the Knights, uh, who is, uh, has been a fabulous team to watch all year, I have to say. So well-deserved for them. The um, So in this whole scheme of things, and then AGCO has had this consultation, which has been great. We knew they were going to do it. Um, because there's things like they permitted active athletes. Um, they put, other than the restrictions around bonusing incentives, uh, there was there was all of your traditional boundaries and regulatory standards that go with gaming advertising. Um, but there was this was some things out there. So they've gone out to consult and looking at changing language. And we've asked them to say, let's take a look at the marketplace here. Because um, last week, your last podcast, you talked to both the UK and the white paper. I have a lot of people here who are saying, well, let, look at what happened in the UK. It's going to happen here. And I'm like, whoa, hang on a second. <laughs> it's, uh, um, there's like, I don't know, 100 plus years of sports betting culture. There was betting shops in every corner. And the UK's commitment to responsible gambling was kind of recent. Uh, where you go back in Canada and our gaming industry evolving early in the early 90s. Uh, RG components were built into it from the beginning and still are. And the responsible gaming standards that are put in 
the regulatory standards and others in Ontario are some of the most robust in North America. And everybody's got to just, let's take a step back and look at what, what we're doing in this first year of the marketplace, because there has been that euphoria, a lot of entrants, but advertising has started to fall off because, you know, brands are established and companies are deploying their resources in different ways. Um, so television advertising in particular was falling off and continued to. So we're happy to be part of the conversation up here and, and the industry is more than willing to come to the table and look and research and do what's, you know, evidence-based decisions. Um, because as you guys know, the gaming industry is kind of littered with best intentions of let's make a headline go away for the politicians. So we'll do this policy or that policy. Do we know if it works? No. And there's lots of those in the gaming regulations around the world that have created and the expectation they're going to help people, but it was really don't know if they were going to work at all. And then no one's gone back to find out if they have. And of course we never take anything away. And we're trying to say, let's use this opportunity now to step back, do some research and put some policies in place that are effective and work because the industry is more than happy to make sure that we're putting the right policies and regulations in place to ensure we have that healthy relationship with players that we are taking every step we can to protect players. And, you know, that's, oh, oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Paul. That, that was an interesting point no, you brought up. And one that I, well, one that I wanted to highlight was just, you know, we, and we talked about this in the U S once markets become established, uh, you know, as you pointed out, television advertising starts to fall off. And this just sort of happens as players are built out, as companies are built out. This just happens naturally in a competitive marketplace. So with that, do you think, obviously, you referenced Senate Bill 269. I saw it as well. Uh, you know, Senator Deacon, good intentions with the bill, creating these national advertising standards. Do you think that's got traction? Do you think that goes anywhere or do you think that the industry is ahead of this? Uh, one, I think the industry is definitely on top of this. And and part of what I have a problem with these bills is like you're segmenting out just certain parts of the gaming industry. The gaming industry actually doesn't break out. When they talk about responsible gaming products, we don't design one for sports betters and one for – we design it for customers. We design it for the customer. We work from the – because the customer may play both. And that's the part I – and let's just ban this kind of advertising, but let's ignore the rest – of gaming advertising. We've had gaming advertising in Canada for decades. Um, it's not new. And so we, why we get these pieces to want to pick at this part of the gaming industry or that part of the gaming industry, as an industry, we're looking at the whole thing already. And we don't, the center, we look at the player and we look at how we can educate the player and how we can protect the player. And that's, I think that's where we'd like to have that conversation. Senator Deacon is, is been, you know, she's very experienced in the world of sports and especially amateur in the Olympic movement in Canada. You know, I think it's, it's understanding that the industry doesn't, it looks at the whole picture and not just pieces of it. And that's what, if you're going to have the conversation, let's talk about everything we're doing. Well, and I think, Paul, you, you, you said it right there is, you know, we, we have a tendency and I'll, I know, obviously, I'm going to ignore that my uh, my colleague and fellow Cape Crusader was never like this when he was a politician, because he always looked at everything in totality. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, in a lot of these situations, you know, they tend to compartmentalize what might be going on and just solely looking at the niche. 
But I think you also said it best of going, nothing ever gets taken off the books. It's always <laughs> stuck there. And then it's, oh, we'll deal with it later. You know, one thing I think that that uh, I wanted to highlight uh, off of this, and, and this has been a fascinating conversation, is where does Canada go from here? What's the next market that's going to open up? And, and where do we see sports and iGaming going next within within the within the country? Well, that's a great question, and everybody's <laughs> speculating. It's uh, um, There's been a lot of examination of the Ontario marketplace, and now, obviously, the, the economic impact study that IGO produced uh, also can give provinces another picture of, we've got an industry here we've created. Let's be honest. I mean, there's almost a billion dollars in wages have been paid in Ontario in the last 12 months. Um, you know, there's well over a thousand jobs, direct jobs, but supporting about 12,000 jobs in the, in the province. Um, we've looked at to the provinces. It's really, we've asked them to look at it the same way Ontario did. Look at it from a consumer protection point of view. Look at it from a creating a, an entire regulated marketplace in its totality. Um, you can't, Ontario, the Canadian government has done, is just in it, right now just done their first pieces of legislation around trying to bring some sort of regulation to the internet. They've ignored, they haven't wanted to regulate the internet uh, at all, and now it's mostly around news content. Um, but the whole question is that you, there's only one way to solve the gray market in the rest of Canada, and that's to create a regulatory regime. And we've extended offers to say, let's do the consultations, have the discussion with industry and learn what's best for your marketplace. Because there's lots of, the land-based gaming market is very different in Alberta and British Columbia than it is in Manitoba or Quebec. And so there's there's other stakeholders that need to be consulted. And let's take the time and let's do that. Alberta has, with the government being recently reelected, uh, has had some indication that they want to get a conversation going uh, we're hoping that British Columbia does the same. They've actually taken some steps in the last year to actually improve the powers uh, of their regulator, which was um, which is another piece that that they didn't have the tools um, or the resources. Now they have the tools; they still don't have the resources. Um, but in other markets like Quebec, there still needs to be um, the address of, of resourcing the regulator properly and giving them the proper powers before they were able to do anything. So there's some, there's, so the Western provinces look more likely to be sooner rather than later, but that's pure speculation. And the governments are just starting to, to, uh, they've been doing their evaluation. They've spoken to the AGCO and iGaming Ontario, and they're trying to learn. Well, exciting times, no doubt. And just like that, we have reached the end of the show. Uh, again, Paul Burns, CEO, President, Canadian Gaming Association, but more importantly, my friend, thank you very much for joining us. And I will tell you this, Canada always holds a special place in my heart because I grew up gambling there. Everybody knows I'm a gambler. <laughs> Casino Windsor was my spot. South Detroit, if you want to call it that. Uh, that's where I grew up. That's where I learned how to play craps. And so for me, Paul, it's always great to, to talk Canada with you. Uh, again, thanks for joining us. This has been another production of uh, IGB production of World Series of Politics. And I'm Brandon Iden, along with Brendan Busman. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the World Series of Politics podcast with Brendan Busman and Brent Iden. We'll be back at the starting line very soon. This has been an IGB production. For the latest news, views, analysis, and data on the global gaming industry, head to iGamingBusiness.com.